We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 364 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, July 28, 2022. It is the day on which Dan Snyder, maybe, possibly, will be testifying before Congress uh, regarding the commander's workplace misconduct scandal. Yeah, I said maybe and possibly because, amazingly, uh, we don't know. This is something else. As of late Wednesday night slash early Thursday morning, it still was not clear whether Dan will actually be testifying on Thursday. Nobody seems to know what's going on. Uh, His testimony would be via Zoom. Uh, The testimony would not be under subpoena, at least we do not think, as as far as we know. Uh, Congress still has not been able to serve Dan with a subpoena as he remains playing hide-and-go-seek on his super yacht. Uh, So yeah, nobody knows whether Danny Boy is actually going to testify before Congress on Thursday. I mean, this seems like a big deal, right? Dan Snyder testifying before Congress, and yet nobody knows if this thing is going to happen. At least it feels like nobody knows if this thing is going to happen. I do know this. Uh, You and me, we have a lot of Commanders football to talk about. Uh, Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. 2022 Commanders training camp has begun. Uh, We on day one of camp on Wednesday had three heavyweights, Rod Rivera, Carson Wentz, and Jonathan Allen, all doing post-practice press conferences. Next segment, I will go in-depth on Carson Wentz, off what he Ron and John uh, had to say about Carson. Uh, How is Carson adjusting to Scott Turner's offense? How is Carson doing as a teammate? Uh, You by now surely are familiar with the Carson Wentz red flags. How many times, by the way, have you heard that phrase over the last four months? Carson Wentz red flags. Well, Wednesday was a day on which some of the red flag stuff was addressed. You will hear all of the key audio over the course of of this show. Uh, Antonio Gibson is banged up again. We have that to talk about, as well as Ron Rivera comments on Brian Robinson Jr. and much more. Lots of Commander's content 
on the show. Uh, unfortunately, not a topic on the show is the great Joe Jacoby being among the 12 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023 via the Seniors Committee. We on Wednesday learned that Joe has been snubbed by voters slash panelists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame yet again. Yes, this has happened again. Uh, What a joke. What a complete joke that Joe Jacoby remains having not been elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And yes, I am a Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders fan. But still, uh, you can be objective and still very much believe that Joe Jacoby is a slam dunk Pro Football Hall of Famer. He was good enough to be a starter on three Super Bowl winning teams, uh, which had three different starting quarterbacks and three different starting running backs. Uh, Jacoby was good enough to make the Pro Football Hall of Fame's all-1980s second team, but he's apparently not worthy of being in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ridiculous. He should have been in years ago. I will say this, though. Him continually being snubbed by the Pro Football Hall of Fame, I think in a strange way, actually enhances his legacy because we keep talking about him being Hall of Fame worthy. We keep referencing him not being in the Hall of Fame despite being Hall of Fame worthy. And so in kind of a counterintuitive way, I feel like this maybe has enhanced the legacy of Joe Jacoby, you know, with us continually highlighting his credentials and talking him up. So uh, if you're looking for a silver lining, there is that. But no doubt, Joe Jacoby should be a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There are multiple Redskins greats who should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but are not. Uh, Brian Mitchell should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I think that there are very compelling cases for the likes of Gary Clark and Jerry Smith to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Anyway, uh, also on the show, the Nationals, uh, more specifically, Patrick Corbin. Uh, He is not headed to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, at least not right now. Uh, Corbin, an absolute debacle on Wednesday afternoon. The Nats lost at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers 7-1, preventing the Nats from completing what would have been a stunning three-game sweep. Corbin on Wednesday afternoon, six runs, recorded a mere two outs. Yes, that was it. Six runs, two outs. A new low for Patrick Corbin. Uh, I will discuss what happened, where we are, and the continued decline of Patrick Corbin, and comments from Mike Rizzo on Corbin potentially being a part of a trade of Juan Soto. And I will talk Orioles. Uh, They, on Wednesday night, rallied once again. Uh, Now, they did end up losing a 6-4-10 inning loss, to the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, despite Jorge Mateo in the bottom of the ninth, smashing a one-out game-tying opposite field solo homer to right center field to tie the game at four. Every Orioles game right now feels like a thriller. Uh, This team has become so much fun to watch, although this team appears to have lost Tyler Wells potentially for a while. Uh, He left his start due to lower back discomfort, and Brandon Hyde during his post-game press conference said uh, that Wells is likely headed to an injured list. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dan M. on Hail to the Commanders uh, as the new fight song for the Commanders. And the two versions of Hail to the Commanders on which we can vote, uh, one version has the line, fight for our Commanders, and the other version 
has the line, leaders on a mission. Uh, Right, Stan? I don't know anymore, man. Fight for the commanders, leaders on a mission? You have millenniums of war euphemisms to draw from now, and this is what the team went with? How about charge to the front line or fight for your brothers? That came with minimal thought and no focus groups, and I'll bet both of them would finish better in a poll than the two current options would. The commanders fighting for the commanders? Uh, They must have military people all over that town. (laughs) I'm probably more upset by this than I should be. But come on, man. At least your pod is always on point. Peace. Uh, Thank you for that, Dan. I appreciate that. Uh, For the record, I am fine with the new fight song being to the tune of Hail to the Redskins. I do not have a problem with that. I do think, though, that the team could have done better than fight for our commanders and leaders on a mission. Uh, Leaders on a mission (laughs) really does sound lame. That so sounds like something that a company would have at like a team building retreat. You know, that's something that Bill Lumberg from the movie Office Space would make his employees wear on a sticker or something like that. Leaders on a mission. Get those TPS reports done. Uh, email from Tom on the Juan Soto situation. Uh, yeah, we have that, of course. Uh, the MLB trade deadline is this Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, and the number one MLB trade deadline item remains whether the Nats will trade Soto, uh, writes Tom off something that I said on Monday's show, episode 361, that the Nats don't have to trade Soto right now. I agree with you about Soto. I have been saying the same for weeks. There are two plus years left on his economically friendly contract. Why are we even talking about trading him, the new owners should be able to make that call. It seems to me that might make the team more attractive if he is still on the roster. Thanks for your pod. I enjoy it. Uh, Thank you, Tom. Yeah, if in fact the sale of the Nats is going to be completed by November, as Washington Post columnist Barry's Verluga on July 19th tweeted it was expected to be the case, uh, then to me, the prudent play would be to complete the sale of the team get new ownership in place, and see if new ownership can get Juan Soto to sign a contract extension. That reported 15-year, $440 million contract extension offer that he turned down was a below-market-value offer, as I have detailed. What if the Nats' next majority owner is some extreme Richie Rich, a la Steve Cohen, the owner, chairman, and CEO of the New York Mets, and the Nats' next majority owner, who is a Richie Rich, offers Soto, say, a $500 million contract extension. You know, there are people who believe that a contract extension offer that starts with a five as opposed to a four uh, would be an offer that Soto would accept, that that would be the godfather offer that I've talked about, the offer that Soto can't refuse. To me, if you really want to sign Soto to a contract extension, then you need to exhaust every last avenue before deciding that you can't sign Soto to a contract extension. And if he's truly unsignable, then you trade him. And I get that waiting until the offseason to trade Soto could reduce his trade value, because that would mean that a contending team trading for Soto would be getting him for two potential pennant races, not three. Uh, Actually, Ben Clemens of Fangraphs had a great line in a piece of the Juan Soto situation, quote, the best time to trade Juan Soto is never. The second best time is right now. 
end quote. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I think that's actually a really smart line. Well, right now is the best time to call the law firm of Paulson and Nace if your health or if the health of someone who you know has been adversely affected by the negligence of someone else. Uh, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson Andes handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson Andes is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Uh, Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Uh, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Thank you for subscribing to this podcast. Uh, don't forget to give the podcast a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you're really feeling nice, uh, please write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, all right, so Wednesday was day one of 2022 Commander's Training Camp, which is taking place at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. Uh, we had a morning practice and then an afternoon walkthrough. And we, after the morning practice, had a post-training camp practice press conference for quarterback Carson Wentz. From a football standpoint, nothing in the Commander's 2022 offseason was more significant than them trading for Carson Wentz in March. Head coach Ron Rivera made it no secret that the team in the 2022 offseason was all in on getting a franchise quarterback, and the move that ended up being made was the trade for Carson Wentz. And I don't think that it's an oversimplification to say that how Carson Wentz does this coming season will define the commander's 2022 season. If Carson stays healthy and plays really well, then there's a good chance that the Commanders will have the step-forward season that Ron has said that the team needs to have. And if Carson misses significant time due to injury and or plays poorly and or doesn't get along with his teammates, well, uh, then it's going to be rather difficult for the Commanders to have that step-forward season. Uh, not impossible, but difficult. Here was Carson on Wednesday morning on his thought process early in training camp. 
Yeah, I think early on for me is just finding that timing and chemistry with guys. You know, you, you get a little bit of it in the spring. You get a little bit of it in the summer, you know, on your own. Um, but now that you're out here against the defense, all that stuff, just understanding guys, uh, how they get in and out of breaks, in and out of cuts, finding that chemistry so I can, you know, get the ball out on time, where it needs to be, and just start working that chemistry with these guys. That's really the focal point kind of for me early on, but then also just building that culture, that chemistry with all the guys both on and off the field. Um, and it's been fun uh, even just through, through these first day and a half here. When it comes to building rapport with pass catchers, how do you know? Carson Wentz on Wednesday morning on if he knows pretty quickly whether he'll have a strong connection with a pass catcher. Definitely a fair question. Um, I'd say yes, normally. You know, everyone's unique. Everyone's different. Um, Some days you come out here, you're going to get 20-some reps with the guy. Some days you're going to not get a single one. Um, And so that's part of it. But, um, you know, you start to see guys' tendencies early and start to kind of understand how they get in and out and what they do well and how we can work together. And so... uh, I like what I see out there. I think we got a dynamic group and a lot of um, really good playmakers. We just got to find a way to get it in their hands. I got to find a way to get it in their hands um, and let them make their plays. And this was Rod Rivera at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning on whether you can tell early on if a quarterback has a chemistry with his pass catchers. It, it, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting because between he and Terry, um, it was kind of cool to see. You know, he threw one out there. Terry went out and got it. And then another one, uh, he threw a little behind Terry. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, he, he missed that. But then Terry came over and told him, hey, I came out of that too soon. So there's, there, you can see that they're already communicating with each other, which was really kind of cool because my first impression was, you know, oh, he missed the throw. But when Terry came back and told Carson, hey, I, I, got, I came out way too soon, you know, you see that they have, they're developing that type of report that's going to be very helpful for, for each other, for us, for that matter. I like that nugget there from Ron Rivera on Carson Wentz and receiver Terry McLaurin. What about the playbook? Uh, where is Carson Wentz right now with the scheme of offensive coordinator Scott Turner? Yeah, I feel good with it. Honestly, I feel good. It's again, it was an adjustment in the spring. It was a lot of information. It's always a new language, uh, but it's the part of the game that I love. It's the part of understanding the X's and O's, asking the questions. Why are we doing this? What's going on here? Um, and coach has been awesome helping me learn and, and learn quickly, and uh, I feel pretty good with it. Yeah, you really can't say enough about the importance of Carson Wentz and Scott Turner meshing well and that being a good football marriage. I mean, Carson Wentz has never not had anyone other than Doug Peterson or Frank Reich as the offensive mastermind. Peterson was Carson's head coach with the Philadelphia Eagles from 2016 through 2020. Reich was the Eagles offensive coordinator for the 2016 and 2017 seasons and was Carson's head coach with the Indianapolis Colts last season. Uh, Doug Peterson and Frank Reich have been like Carson Wentz's NFL binkies. Uh, Can Scott Turner be a Carson Wentz binky? Uh, We shall see. Uh, Of course, with Carson Wentz, you could argue that the the off-the-field stuff is more in question than the the on-the-field stuff. Uh, As you may have heard, a time or 50, uh, the Commanders are Carson Wentz's third team in three seasons. We on this podcast have talked a lot about why exactly the Colts traded Carson just one year after trading for Carson and what went wrong for Carson with the Eagles. And no doubt, we do not have all of the information, but we do have a number of items that have painted ugly pictures. Uh, You have Colts general manager Chris Ballard 
at his press conference at the NFL Scouting Combine this past March 1st, saying that Carson needed to get better at handling criticism, uh, saying that criticism of Carson had been fair, saying that Carson needed to demonstrate growth. Uh, he had Colts insider Zach Kiefer of The Athletic in a piece that came out this past March 9th, writing the following about why the Colts were trading Carson Wentz. Quote, as for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretched back to before the season began, one source said, and over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching, and a reckless style of play, which had a role in several close losses. And quote, uh, you had Eagles insider Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer in a piece that came out this past March 10th saying the following about Carson Wentz in the Eagles 2017 Super Bowl championship season, during which Carson suffered a torn left ACL in December 2017 and then saw Nick Foles lead the Eagles to their first ever Super Bowl title. Quote, sometime before the championship game, Wentz voiced his displeasure with the Eagles' success to a group of other injured players, sources with direct knowledge of the incident said. One of the players immediately confronted him, and the two eventually had to be separated. Wentz certainly had his supporters or those that sympathized with the obstacles he faced in Philly. If he was more successful, others would have likely been willing to overlook some of his personality quirks. But the Eagles' pre-draft evaluation didn't place enough emphasis on questionable character traits or that he lacked the mental strength to accept hard coaching and personnel decisions that directly affected him, end quote. So yeah, it is hard to just ignore and dismiss all of that. Uh, this was Carson Wentz on Wednesday morning on how he goes about building relationships with new teammates. Yeah, uh, you try not to do anything out of the ordinary. You know, you just let that naturally, those relationships naturally build. You know, you come in, for me, this is year seven. Things are different. I'm a little older, you know, a little different perspective and relatively younger team, younger locker room. And so um, just how do you build relationships? It looks different every year. Every locker room looks different, but um, you just have to be intentional and build build that uh, chemistry and that relationship in time. And it's a lot of good dudes in there and it's been fun getting to know yeah, all of this off-the-field stuff with Carson Wentz is tricky. You can't just assume that everything that you read and hear is gospel, but at the same time, you can't just assume that everything that you read and hear is all wrong and fake news. And remember this, Carson at his introductory press conference for the Commanders this past March 17th did a really good job in his answers to questions about his many red flags, but also didn't necessarily deny the validity of what has been out there. Uh, Carson referred to having played bad in each of the Colts' final two games in the 2021 regular season by saying, quote, the way we finished, the way I finished, was poor, was poor, end quote. Uh, Carson responded to a question about his reported lack of leadership by saying, quote, for one, reports are reports and there's a truth in some things and all those things, end quote. Uh, I really liked Carson's intro presser on March 17th. I thought that he came across very well, and he on Wednesday morning came across well. Here was Carson on Wednesday morning on whether he, this past offseason, engaged in any introspection of having been traded for a second consecutive offseason. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless if it's a good, bad, ugly game, year, whatever, I'm always that way. I'm always trying, how can I get better? How can I look at 
myself first. Where can I get better? Where can I help the team be better? All of those things. And so for me, it's just coming in and, and you know, distributing the ball to these guys and, and being efficient, being effective, uh, being consistent both physically with my play and also just with, with my attitude, with my leadership, trying to be consistent with that. Um, and so those are things I look at every every single year. Um, and then there's there's always a couple things here and there mechanically that you're trying to focus on or, you know, fundamentally um, that most people would probably never understand or, or um, really recognize. But you're always focusing on a couple things in the off seasons to try and get better. Look, I'm not looking for Carson Wentz to like beat himself up publicly. What I want is for him to recognize where he has gone wrong to whatever extent that he has gone wrong and to be better so that the commanders, our commanders, get the best version possible of Carson Wentz. You know, this may well be his last shot at being a true QB1 in the NFL. You would think that the guy is motivated and focused to do all that he can with this opportunity. And given that Carson is very into his Christian faith, uh, you would think that in accordance with that faith, there is a humility with which he's willing to recognize where he has gone wrong. Uh, here was Commander's interior defensive lineman, Jonathan Allen, during his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning on what questions he might have for Carson Wentz and on what John has seen from Carson as a teammate. I really don't need to ask him any questions. What he does on a day-to-day basis will tell me everything I need to know about him. He came in, he worked, he involved himself with the team, and he's exactly what we want from a quarterback. So I have no questions. I know a lot of the times the media doesn't really get the full story, only the story that some people portray. That's why I'm not worried about what the media says. I'm worried about what I see with my own eyes, and he's given me no reason to doubt him at all. All right, so there you go. Carson Wentz has the endorsement of Jonathan Allen. Commander John endorses Commander Carson. Uh, Here was John on Wednesday morning on what having a talented quarterback like Carson Wentz can mean for the commander's defense. As a defense, we have a guy like Carson Wentz. Our job is to get him the ball back as many times as we can throughout the course of the game. So we understand what our offense can do, and it's on us to hold up our end of the bargain. Yes, it is. Uh, But back to Carson Wentz. Ron Rivera has said multiple times to Carson that he is wanted here. What has that messaging meant to Carson? Here he was on Wednesday morning on that. Yeah, I think for anybody, it just builds confidence. It builds um, confidence within myself. You know, I always think I'm a, I'm a confident person, but hearing it from somebody else, from the head coach, those types of things, um, definitely just instills that confidence even more to just go out there and don't put pressure, don't put expectations, just just play free, have fun and play free and, and be you. And um, just that reminder always from him uh, means a lot so that I can just go out there, play loose, play fast, play free and have fun. You know, you think about Carson Wentz, he is under contract for three more seasons, 2022, 2023, and 2024. Now, it is true that the commanders got Carson with the ability to part ways with him after this coming season uh, with zero dead money. Uh, The contract only has guaranteed money remaining for the 2022 season. But in theory, this could be the start of a multi-year run for Carson Wentz as the commander's QB1. I mean, if Carson Wentz has a really good 2022 season, then he will be back as the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. And maybe, just maybe, he can be 
a multi-year solution at the quarterback position for the Commanders. I mean, clearly that's the hope here. More from Carson Wentz on Wednesday morning. Yeah, uh, I mean, I feel confident in myself. I feel um, belief in myself from, from the people around me, which means a lot. It is unique. It's a unique business. You know, you're one year here, one year there, and, and you, you try to, you know, you have your sights set on, on long term wherever you are. But, you know, God has different plans sometimes, and um, try and make the most of it. Try and make the most of it and just keep plugging along. And uh, I got an awesome wife and kids that, you know, they pick up, and we're, here we are, you know, and, and we're going to fully invest in this city and this team and the people around us and um, try and make the most of it for, God willing, hopefully a long time. And, um, yeah, it definitely brings about some different life circumstances that, I think a lot of people don't understand within a family dynamic, uh, but it's also fun. It's also fun. It's part of the adventure with, for my family and I, um, and we're loving it. So the Commanders acquired Carson Wentz with the following remaining salary cap hits in his contract. 2022, $28.3 million. 2023, $26.18 million. 2024, $27.24 million. If Carson is a good quarterback for the Commanders, and that's a big if, no doubt, but if he is a good quarterback for the Commanders, then he can be a bargain at those salary cap numbers. In an NFL now where top quarterbacks are paid $40 plus million per year, having Carson Wentz at under $30 million per year is a bargain if he is, in fact, playing well. Well, it's not easy finding bargains in the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. That's because the D.C. area real estate market is competitive and tricky, especially with everything going on in our economy right now. And so if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel, as in Kellen Hunt, as your real estate agent. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. That's CloseItWithKel, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. The Washington, D.C. area real estate market is competitive. We, of course, have all kinds of things going on with our economy right now. What is the right way to approach buying a home in the D.C. area? What are the best strategies? How do you make sure that your offer for the home that you want is the offer that wins? Well, this is where Kellen Hunt comes in. Kellen Hunt has a mastery of the Washington, D.C. area real estate market. But he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you, to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. Kellen Hunt's website says it all. Closeitwithkel.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you.
More now from Wednesday's day one of 2022 Commanders training camp at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia. So head coach Ron Rivera was not happy with how the morning practice went. Uh, Here was Ron at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning. I was happy with where we are in terms of retention, um, but but we got to practice better than we did today. I mean, you know, we, we, we just got started. It was fresh in these guys' uh, mind as far as what we're doing. But uh, again, how we do it, we got to be better at it. All right. I got to tell you, I kind of like that. Uh, Ron Rivera not being satisfied with the team on day one of training camp. Be demanding, Don Ron. Demand all that you can demand from your players. Uh, Ron on Wednesday morning got asked if he gets excited, if he gets jacked up for day one of training camp. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's always fun. The, the first day is always fun. And, you know, it's one of those things the guys come out with a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. You know, like I said, optimism is high. Um, and, and, and you just, you know, you feed off of that kind of energy. I mean, you know, in, in about a week, you guys will probably ask me about the grind. Um, and, but that's just the nature of the, of the business. These first few days, you know, everything's going to be going to be, you know, high, high energy. I mean, like today's practice is only 90 minutes. Um, you know, they had a lot of energy and, and we'll, we'll ramp it up gradually. Um, we'll get into the, into the shells and then into the pads and, and, you know, the next seven days. Um, but what's happening right now is our guys are just working through the beginning and they're, they're going to be optimistic and excited. Um, but again, then reality will set in a little bit. Yeah, and a reality that settled in on Wednesday morning was a notable injury development. Uh, running back Antonio Gibson on Wednesday morning did not fully practice. Uh, he was on a side field as he is dealing with a hamstring injury. Uh, he had the hamstring injury during the offseason program. Now, this doesn't seem to be a serious injury or anything like that, but, you know, we just had about a six-week break between the offseason program and the start of training camp, and yet Gibson's hamstring was not recovered enough to where he fully practiced on day one of training camp. Uh, Antonio Gibson gets banged up quite a bit. Uh, This, to me, is a big part of why the commanders took a running back in Brian Robinson Jr. in the third round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Now, in fairness to Gibson, he doesn't miss games, at least not many, and I give him a lot of credit for that, but he has dealt with a good bit in the way of injury over his first two NFL seasons. Uh, Gibson, in his 2020 rookie regular season, played in 14 of Washington's 16 games. He, in December 2020, missed two games due to a turf toe injury. Gibson, in the 2021 regular season, played in 16 of Washington's 17 games. The only game that he missed uh, was due to COVID. He was on the reserve COVID-19 list from December 31st to January 5th. But Gibson, during the 2021 regular season, dealt with a shin injury, a rib injury, and a toe injury. And that his efficiency stats were not exactly sparkling for the 2021 regular season, perhaps was a function of him having played through so many injuries. Uh, And now here we are at the start of 2022 training camp, and Gibson is dealing with this hamstring injury. Uh, What about Brian Robinson Jr.? Uh, Ron Rivera at his post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning on what Robinson can add to the team's backfield. Well, I, I think he is a he's, he's he's a big, strong, powerful downhill runner more so than anything else. He does have a little bit of shake to him, but you know, I, I think if you look at it, Antonio is is, is a little more elusive guy, uh, more off the edge. Where with Brian, we can we can take it inside or we can take it off the edge.
Yeah, Brian Robinson Jr. is a bruiser. Uh, he, in his 2021 redshirt senior season at Alabama for Pro Football Focus, had 891 yards after contact, which ranked 12th in the FBS. And he had 79 missed tackles forced, which ranked tied for 6th in the FBS. Also, at Ron Rivera's post-training camp practice press conference on Wednesday morning, uh, he got asked about something that came out on June 17th, multiple reports that the NFL had fined Ron $100,000 and had stripped the commanders of two OTA practices in 2023, all of this for having had excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program. As you probably know, an NFL team is not allowed to have live contact at OTA and minicamp practices. Uh, OTA practices, organized team activity practices, and minicamp practices are non-padded, non-contact practices. Uh, They are guys practicing in shorts. The commanders in their 2022 offseason conducted 10 OTA practices and three mandatory minicamp practices. According to ESPN, which obtained a letter that the NFL sent to Commander's General Manager Martin Mayhew informing him of the penalties. The NFL Players Association, per request to the Commanders, reviewed video of two Commanders OTA practices, uh, those on June 1st and June 8th, and informed the NFL Management Council that the NFLPA felt that those practices violated the collective bargaining agreement's, quote, prohibition against live contact, end quote. Well, the NFL Management Council, after reviewing the practices, agreed with the NFLPA. According to the letter, the commanders, quote, intensity and tempo of the club's interior line play and pass coverage during 11-on-11 drills were at a level where players were clearly engaged in physical contests. And quote, uh, the letter stated that on more than one play, there was excessive contact between players that resulted in players going to the ground and that, quote, in some cases, players were slow to recover after those collisions. And quote, uh, the letter also said that Rod Rivera needed to intervene when practices became too physical and remind players of the rules and to, quote, maintain appropriate control, end quote, over practice. Now, we knew that the commander's OTA practice on June 8th had featured a violent collision between two players, safety Jeremy Reeves and receiver Diami Brown. That practice was open to the media, and as you may remember, Ron Rivera was very upset with Reeves for his hit on Brown, who suffered a sore shoulder, but nothing more, at least as far as we know. But according to ESPN in a report on June 17th, quote, one source said there were collisions worse than that during other practices close to the media, end quote. In other words, according to one source to ESPN, that Jeremy reeves Diami brown collision wasn't even the worst collision at a commander's practice this offseason. Anyway, here was Ron Rivera on Wednesday morning on whether having been fined a hundred grand and docked two OTA practices for the 2023 offseason impacted what he and his coaching staff emphasized to players prior to training camp practice. Yeah, it's the same emphasis we did during OTAs and minicamps. You know, sometimes things happen. Guys run into each other. You know, I try to make a point of it. I try to emphasize it during OTAs and minicamps that, you know, we're supposed to keep our heads out of it. We're supposed to defer to the receivers. I repeated that emphasis yesterday in our team meeting, and I repeated it today just before we started practice. We're mindful of the rules, you know, in spite of what, you know, what was said. Um, You know, I, I, I disagree with their assessment of it. 
but they're the ones who make the assessments. Yes, they are. You know, plenty of other NFL teams have been penalized by the league in recent years for excessive contact at offseason practices. The Dallas Cowboys in particular, the NFL in June reportedly fined Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy $100,000 and docked the Cowboys a 2023 OTA practice for excessive contact during the team's 2022 offseason program. This off the NFL in 2021, reportedly having fined McCarthy $50,000, having fined the Cowboys $100,000, and having stripped the Cowboys of a 2022 OTA practice for excessive contact during the team's 2021 offseason program. And yet, know this, uh, the Cowboys' defense last season uh, was much improved. Uh, The Cowboys' the 2021 regular season were number two in the NFL in total defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, The Cowboys defensive coordinator Dan Quinn did a very nice job last season in his first season as Cowboys defensive coordinator. So I don't know, maybe there is something to excessive contact in the offseason being a sign of a defense being intense and aggressive and focused and poised to be better in the coming season. The Cowboys for the 2020 regular season were just number 23 in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. Quinn, in his first season as Cowboys defensive coordinator, took the Cowboys from 23rd in the NFL to 2nd in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. Uh, Boy, would that kind of a rise be nice for the commander's defense this coming season? While we're discussing excessive contact, uh, commander's players on Wednesday were wearing these Guardian helmets, uh, not to be confused with the Cleveland Guardians, uh, but the Guardian helmet is a soft shell medical grade protective helmet that is designed to protect people from head injuries. Uh, The Guardian helmet actually is FDA registered, and the NFL at the annual league meeting in March in Palm Beach, Florida, approved a resolution mandating the use of Guardian cap helmet covers for offensive and defensive linemen, tight ends, and linebackers for each team for every preseason practice between the start of the training camp contact period and the second preseason game. Rod Rivera on Wednesday morning on Commander's Players Wearing Guardian Helmets. Yes, um, I I don't know if you guys noticed, but you guys didn't hear the clack of the helmets today. Um, That's typically what happens when you don't have the Guardian caps on. You know, inevitably, incidental contact, helmet will be hitting helmet. With these Guardian caps, what they'll do is they'll absorb some of the shock and take a lot of the shock off of the players' uh, helmets and heads. Um, And it's one of the things that, you know, the uh, competition committee, along with the NFLPA uh, and, and the medical teams have looked at, and that's why we have the guardian caps on. And, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it's going to be mandated, um, you know, through OTAs, mini camp. Um, and, you know, because right now it's going to go through the majority of training camp. And then I don't know where it'll go as far as the regular season. But if, if this comes out and this really helps reduce it, I, I, then I, I'd imagine we would continue to find ways for player health and safety. Yeah. Do you remember not that long ago, like 2013, 2014, this idea that was out there that the concussion craze was going to be the ruination of the NFL? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, not so much. I mean, look, player safety matters a lot. Don't get me wrong. But this idea that all of this head injury stuff was going to forever ruin the NFL in terms of popularity. um, Yeah. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, a new low for Nat starting pitcher 
Patrick Corbin on Wednesday afternoon in a 7-1 loss at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers. Corbin didn't even make it out of the first inning, and this was just hours after Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo addressed rumors that Corbin may be included in a potential trade of right fielder Juan Soto. We'll get to all of that and more after this. Well, if you're like me, you like coffee, and coffee is a part of your routine. I drink coffee before every workout, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which right now is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But Trade Coffee tastes great, and Trade Coffee comes from a great place. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses that pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. So buying Trade Coffee gets you delicious coffee and supports small businesses and farmers. And here's maybe the best part. Trade Coffee tailors its coffee to you. Uh, You complete a very brief coffee quiz, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Uh, Trade Coffee delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew your coffee at home. And Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first order, or Trade Coffee will replace your order for free. Trade Coffee is a great model. There's no one perfect coffee but there is a perfect coffee for you. And so here's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off first orders plus free shipping. Just go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Take the quiz and let Trade Coffee find you the coffee that you'll love. Again, $30 off. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. One more time, visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, one of the roles of an ace starting pitcher in baseball is to serve as a stopper. 
i.e. when a team is in the midst of a losing streak and the ace is starting a game, the onus is on the ace to stop the losing streak, to be the stopper. Uh, Patrick Corbin, in case you have forgotten, was the Nationals' opening day starter this season. Uh, That is something that traditionally is reserved for an ace. But of course, uh, Patrick Corbin uh, is no ace, Uh, not with what has happened to him over the last three seasons. And so it makes perfect sense that Patrick Corbin on Wednesday afternoon acted as a stopper in like a bizarro world way. He stopped the Nats three-game winning streak, and he stopped the Nats from completing a three-game sweep at the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, We, on Wednesday afternoon, were denied the hilarity of the Major League Worst Nats completing a three-game sweep at the NL-leading Dodgers. And a major reason we were denied this, perhaps the biggest reason that we were denied this, was Patrick Corbin. 7-1 was the final on Wednesday afternoon as the Nats in this 2022 regular season fell to a major league worst 34-66 with a major league worst run differential of minus 160. And Patrick Corbin was a special kind of bad. Uh, This was embarrassing. Corbin on Wednesday afternoon had one of the worst starts that you'll ever see a major league pitcher have. He allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. Yeah, he didn't even make it out of the first inning. He, in the inning, gave up an astounding seven hits, three doubles, and four singles, and he issued a walk. He could barely find the plate. He over 45 pitches through just 26 strikes versus 19 balls. And how about this? Six of the seven hits and the walk that Corbin gave up all came with two outs. Uh, It was batting practice against Patrick Corbin. The Dodgers in the bottom of the first on Wednesday afternoon enjoyed an extended batting practice session. Among the many hits that Corbin gave up was a two-out full-count RBI single by Trace Thompson to left field for a 2-0 Dodgers lead. That hit had an exit velocity of 108.6 miles per hour per stat cast. Again, batting practice. Here was some of Nats manager Davey Martinez's post-game session with reporters on Wednesday evening. Uh, you will hear several exchanges with reporters regarding Patrick Corbin. I just, uh, you face 10 hitters. He was behind five, five of them. And then uh, the guys he got ahead of just c- couldn't put, put them away. I mean, that was, that was, uh, that was the big deal right there. So, um, Ben, he had a lot of pitches, so, you know, we had, we had to go get him. For you as a manager, is that one of the toughest things to have to do going the first inning out there to do that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, we were hoping that he can just get one more out and see where we're at. But, um, you know, l- luckily that, you know, tomorrow we have a day off. And our bullpen, uh, once again, our bullpen went out there and pitched really well. Um, but, you know, they were, they were the saviors of the day. Is that a matter of 45, 50s getting to be too much in one inning? And if you can get just over the hump, then maybe you can go a couple and save some more? Yeah, we'll see. You know, we, we could have got him out of here, hopefully, you know, at 40-some pitches. And then maybe, you know, we'll see if we, what he does the next couple of innings. But right. um, it just it just wasn't going to happen. You know, I, I, I mean, at, the, at some point around the 40th pitch, I was getting a little little worried. You know, I don't want to get him hurt. How well, um, frustrating is it that every time maybe it seems like Patrick made some strides? You end up kind of back where we started again, but there hasn't really been any consistency or trajectory moving upward. 
Yeah, you know, I, th- I think uh, for me, you're looking at you know, he's throwing the ball well, um, but like I said, he's just not he's not finishing. You know, it's, it's taking him taking him you know, extra pitches to finish hitters off. Um, today, I, don't, I didn't think his slider was was all that sharp. Um, and he left a couple up with two strikes. You know, where, where the guys get put the bat on the ball. So, um, but you know, his fastballs. Good. His location was just a, 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 a tack off, um, but you know, like I said, you know, when you fall behind, you got you got attack hitters, and then and then when when you, we get to two strikes and you can't finish a hitter, I mean, um, especially these guys, they're pretty good. So, um, and that's what happened today. Well, in fairness to Patrick Corbin, the Nats in the Dodgers' six-run first on Wednesday afternoon were guilty of a particularly hideous defensive moment. So. Corbin gave up a two-out RBI double to Gavin Lux uh, on a 1-2 pitch for a 6-0 Dodgers lead. The double came on a lazy, and I mean lazy, fly ball that landed between center fielder Victor Robles and right fielder Juan Soto in deep right center field. I mean, this was amateur hour. You got it. No, you got it. Up. Oh, nobody has it. The ball landed, and the Dodgers had themselves a six spot in the bottom of the first. The hit had an expected batting average of... 80 per stat cast, as in 0.080. Like I said, lazy fly ball. Just a really bad defensive moment for Victor Robles and Juan Soto. Uh, But still, Patrick Corbin on Wednesday afternoon was horrendous. And look, his career continues to fall apart. I mean, this is sad what has happened with Patrick Corbin. He now, in the 2022 regular season, over 21 starts, has the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors at 649 and has the worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors at 177. This off what went down with him last season. Corbin, for the 2021 regular season, had an ERA of 582. That was the worst ERA among qualified pitchers in the majors. And he had this 582 ERA despite pitching well in four of his five starts last September. Uh, Also, Corbin, for the 2021 regular season, had a whip of 147. That was the second worst whip among qualified pitchers in the majors. And what happened last season for Corbin was off what happened in the 2020 season for Corbin. Corbin in the 2020 regular season, 11 starts, 65 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 466, gave up a major league worst 85 hits. Patrick Corbin quantifiably has been the worst pitcher in the majors over the last two seasons and has been quite bad over the last three seasons. This season is Corbin's age 32 season and the fourth season of a six-year, $140 million contract that he signed as a free agent in December 2018. The decline of Patrick Corbin really is something. He was so good for the Nats in their 2019 World Series championship season, and he has been so bad for the Nats since then, and he has gotten progressively worse. His 2020 season was bad, his 2021 season was worse, and his 2022 season has been even worse. And as bad as Patrick Corbin's decline makes Corbin look, his decline also makes the Nats look bad. You know, that this is happening under the Nats' watch, that the Nats can't stop the decline, let alone fix Corbin, uh, does not at all speak well for the Nats as an organization, does not at all speak well for the Nats when it comes to coaching and player development. Uh, Also, the timing of this blow-up start for Patrick Corbin 
on Wednesday afternoon was notable. So as you probably know, Patrick Corbin's name has been coming up in connection with a possible Nats trade of right fielder Juan Soto, i.e. the Nats in a trade of Soto might attach Corbin to Soto as a means of getting rid of Corbin's contract. Now, I don't like this idea at all. Uh, Not because I don't want Corbin gone, but because Juan Soto is one of the greatest trade chips in baseball history. And I'm not overstating things when I say that. Juan Soto should be used to bring back a massive haul of stud prospects for a Nats team in dire need of stud prospects. Soto should not be used as a means of dumping Patrick Corbin because what would happen is you would attach Corbin to Soto. You still would get back some prospects, but you would not get back nearly the prospect haul that you would get back if you did not attach Corbin to Soto. Patrick Corbin, in essence, lessens the trade value of Juan Soto. Well, for whatever it's worth, Nats president of baseball operations and general manager Mike Rizzo on Wednesday morning on the Sports Junkies on 106.7 The Fan shot down the notion of the Nats attaching Corbin to Soto in a trade. Uh, So hopefully that is not happening. But boy, was Corbin bad on Wednesday afternoon. And think now about Patrick Corbin's last month. So he was good in back-to-back starts. 3-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Nationals Park on June 28th. One run in eight innings, 12 strikeouts. Then a 3-2 10-inning loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park on July 4th. One run in seven innings. But Corbin, since being good in those back-to-back outings against, by the way, two bad offensive teams in the Pirates and Marlins, has struggled mightily over now four consecutive starts. 4-3 loss at the Atlanta Braves on July 9th. Corbin, four runs in six innings, 8-4 loss to the Braves at Nationals Park on July 15th. Corbin, six runs, five earned in five innings, a 10-1 loss at the Arizona Diamondbacks on July 22nd. Corbin, five runs in five innings, and now this 7-1 loss at the Dodgers on Wednesday afternoon. Corbin, uh, one of the worst starts that you will ever see a major league pitcher have six runs recorded just two outs. A bright spot for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon. And in this series at the Dodgers, and keep in mind, this series was still a series win for the Nats, uh, was the Nats bullpen. Uh, Four Nats relievers on Wednesday afternoon combined to allow one run in seven and a third innings. Yeah, the bullpen was leaned on a ton, right? With Patrick Corbin lasting for just two-thirds of an inning. But the bullpen was great. Erasmo Ramirez tossed three and a third scoreless innings. Steve Ciszek tossed two scoreless innings. Jordan Weems tossed a perfect bottom of the seventh. Andres Machado in the bottom of the eighth did give up a run as he allowed a single and issued three walks. But what the Nats bullpen did on Wednesday afternoon, really impressive. Again, one run in seven and a third innings. And that was off what the Nats bullpen had done in games one and two of the series. Uh, The 4-1 win at the Dodgers on Monday night, five Nats relievers combined for five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. The 8-3 win at the Dodgers on Tuesday night, four Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings. Not good for the Nats on Wednesday afternoon it was their offense. Uh, just one run, just five hits. The Nats did work five walks, but the Nats went just one for nine 
with runners in scoring position. Patrick Corbin was woeful on Wednesday afternoon, but the Nats offense really wasn't much better. Uh, the Nats numbers three through five batters, Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and Nelson Cruz. Uh, they on Wednesday afternoon went a combined 0 for 9 with three walks and five strikeouts. Uh, the Nats new number one batter, Victor Robles. Uh, he on Wednesday afternoon 0 for 4 with two strikeouts. Two bright spots for the Nats were Lane Thomas and Luis Garcia, uh, each of whom was productive for a second consecutive game. Lane Thomas as the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter, two for four with a double and a single, each of which came on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Thomas in the Nats one run seventh had a one-out double to the left center field gap on an 0-2 pitch, and Thomas in the top of the ninth had an opposite field single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. And Luis Garcia as the Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter, one for four, but the one was an RBI double. Uh, Garcia in the Nats, one run seventh, a one-out RBI ground rule double off the right field warning track to cut the Nats deficit to 6-1. Also for the Nats on Wednesday was their number one prospect, starting pitcher Cade Cavalli pitching for AAA Rochester. Uh, He was the Red Wings starting pitcher in a 7-4 home loss to the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. Uh, Now this was Cavalli's first outing since July 12th, uh, when he in a 5-2 home win for Rochester over the Omaha Storm Chasers, I love these minor league baseball team names, uh, allowed one run, which was unearned in three and two-thirds innings. Cavalli was quite good in this game. Six strikeouts versus no walks, but he left the game with a finger issue. Uh, said Rochester manager Matt Lecroy of Cavalli after the game, quote, he had a little thing on his finger. It wasn't really a blister. It was a little small piece of skin that got pulled off of his finger. End quote. Uh, sounds nice. Anyway, Cavalli was back on Wednesday night. Five scoreless innings. Uh, now, he wasn't dominant. He only had three strikeouts. He issued three walks, and he only threw 45 strikes versus 30 balls over 75 pitches, but he only gave up three hits, and you gotta wonder if we might finally be seeing him called up to the majors sooner rather than later, especially if the Nats are about to trade away Juan Soto. Although to me, you don't call up Cavalli until you truly believe that he is ready to be called up. Like the loss of Juan Soto, if in fact the Nats are about to trade him away, should not in any way impact how you handle Cade Cavalli. Cade Cavalli should be called up to the majors for solely baseball reasons, not for marketing reasons or anything like that. Uh, Cade Cavalli, as we speak, is the number 45 prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline. No game for the Nats on Thursday. Uh, Next up for them is a six-game homestand. Three games against the St. Louis Cardinals Friday through Sunday, followed by three games against the National League East leading New York Mets Monday through Wednesday, with this Tuesday, August 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern, being the MLB trade deadline. I tell you, it feels like there is no such thing as a boring Orioles game right now. Every game is exciting, uh, even the losses. Uh, the O's on Wednesday night did lose a 6-4, 10-inning loss to the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 3 of a four-game series. So the O's now are back at 500. Uh, the O's in the 2022 regular season are 49-49 and now are four games behind the Rays for the American League's third wildcard spot. But the O's on Wednesday night did rally. Uh, they overcame a 4-3 ninth inning deficit 
thanks to Jorge Mateo. Uh, Jorge Mateo on Wednesday night as the Orioles starting shortstop and number nine batter. Two for four with a homer and a single. And how clutch was the homer? Mateo, bottom of the ninth, a one-out game-tying opposite field solo homer to right center field to tie the game at four. Yet another big hit by a surging Oriole. Jorge Mateo for this month of July now has a slugging percentage of 508. And that really is a shocker because Jorge Mateo is not someone who is known for his bat. Now, he has been outstanding defensively. Uh, Mateo entered Wednesday tied for number one in the majors in defensive runs saved at shortstop for the 2022 regular season at plus 10. His hitting has been the problem, but in this month of July, his hitting has not been a problem. He is hitting for a lot of power, even though his home run Wednesday night uh, was only his second home run this month. But you think about the rise of the O's here lately. The rise is due to a number of people, including unexpected people uh, like Jorge Mateo, like Ramona Rios, who I talked about on Wednesday's show, episode 363. Uh, O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his post-game press conference on Wednesday night on Jorge Mateo. Yeah, big hit. Nice to see him come through there. Great to see him drive the ball the other way. That was a beautiful piece of hitting. And, and uh, on a night that I felt like we really chased out of the zone quite a bit, it was nice to see him um, yeah, with a big homer there in the ninth inning to tie it. Is that kind of maybe the next step in this game? Obviously, hitting for contact consistently is first, but being able to use the bigger part of the field with his speed can be a little bit dynamic with that. Yeah, yeah, it's something that he works on constantly is being able to stay on the baseball because um, his speed is such a factor, and you know he's got some power too. Uh, but um, good to see him stay on one and and drive one when we needed it. Just uh, I mean, we had two runners on after that also, so had our chance there in the ninth inning. Jorge Mateo, by the way, yet another successful waiver claim by Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias. Uh, the O's claimed Mateo off waivers from the San Diego Padres last August 5th. Biggest negative for the O's from Wednesday night uh, was Tyler Wells in that he struggled for a fourth consecutive start and now is hurt. Uh, Wells on Wednesday night, four runs in four and a third innings, and he exited the game with lower back discomfort. Brandon Hyde, during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night, indicated that Wells likely is headed for an injured list. Uh, here was Hyde in response to whether Wells is headed for an injured list. It's uh, He's got some uh, side and lower back discomfort, so he's going to get rechecked tomorrow, and, and then we'll see. Um, I would say it's, I think it's probably a pretty good chance. So Tyler Wells on Wednesday night gave up six hits, two home runs, a double, and three singles. He did have five strikeouts versus no walks, and he did throw a lot of strikes. Uh, 69 pitches, 47 strikes versus 22 balls. But Tyler Wells now has struggled in each of his last four starts. Um, you know, don't know if the lower back discomfort is a part of why he has struggled lately, but he has struggled lately. Although his numbers for the season still really aren't bad. Uh, and keep in mind, this is a guy making the transition from reliever to starter. Uh, Tyler Wells in the 2022 regular season, 20 starts, ERA of 390, whip of 1.11. More from Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Tyler Wells. Yeah, it is unfortunate. You know, it's, uh, I'm hoping for the best. 
and we'll see. I'm not, I don't want to make any judgments right now, but I'm hoping for the best. And but it, it is um, somebody that we've been trying to be careful with throughout this year, and sometimes you can't control some things. All right, so we had what we had with Tyler Wells on Wednesday night, and then we had the Orioles' bullpen, which was outstanding on Wednesday night until Jorge Lopez came into the game. But four Orioles relievers, Dylan Tate, Nick Vespi, Felix Batista, and Keegan Aiken, combined for four and two-thirds scoreless innings with eight strikeouts, more dominance from this Orioles' bullpen. But Jorge Lopez in the top of the 10th, allowed two runs, uh, one of which was earned. He began the inning by giving up a leadoff single to Yandy Diaz, then issued a six-pitch walk of Brandon Lau. And uh, if you know your local baseball, you know that Brandon Lau is a product of the University of Maryland. And Jorge Lopez then gave up a two-run double to Randy Arena for a 6-4 Rays lead. Game four for the O's against the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Thursday afternoon at 1235, Jordan Lyles, will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 365, will feature all that you need to know from Thursday's day two of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. We'll see what happens with this Dan Snyder testimony before Congress on Thursday regarding the team's workplace misconduct scandal. If that testimony actually happens, we still do not know if this is going to happen. What a mess uh, this entire situation is. Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Orioles game four for the O's and their four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Thursday afternoon at 1235. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. He came in, he worked, he involved himself with the team, and he's exactly what we want from a quarterback. So I have no questions. I know a lot of the times the media doesn't really get the full story, only the story that some people portray. So I'm not worried about what the media says. I'm worried about what I see with my own eyes. And he's given me no reason to doubt him at all. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.